This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Hi, my name is Salati Diamidi. I am the co-founder and president of Smile Mass, and Smile Mass stands for Small Miracles and Life Fixes. And our journey and our world revolves around supporting families who are raising kids and adults with disabilities. Uh, Smile Mass has turned 10 years old this year, so we have been around for a little while. We primarily support families to get out and about in the community despite disabilities. We are loaner programs, we have a house that are fully handicapped accessible that people can rent for summer vacation. We do monthly adaptive programs and we do running programs and so much more. Currently uh, with the epidemic where everybody is stuck at home with the COVID um, virus going on, um, life has taken a little bit of a turn for Smile Mask and as we strive to continue to service the many families who are raising kids and adults with disabilities, it for sure has changed the world as we know it and the new normal um, most often don't really fit families like ours. And when I say like ours, I want to let you know that I am raising a son with severe disabilities whom is currently 19, who is severely handicapped, who is nonverbal, who is confined to a wheelchair and pretty much needs help around the clock. So I don't have to tell you guys what um, this homebound man has done to our family. And I'm sure many, many families are feeling pressure and the pain of trying to do everything. But today I want to introduce you to a couple of people we have invited to this call to kind of open the conversation, what's working, what's not working, and how can we potentially be better. Um, I have a feeling this state and or, you know, um, the people that are actually making the bigger decisions of how schools should work, how a new normal should look, actually want to know from us, how can we help you? So um, as the co-founder of Smile Mass, we had this great opportunity to do the podcast and we thought this was a great way to reach out to the majority of families and kind of figure out what works, what doesn't work and how can we learn from each other and get better. I wanna introduce a couple of people on the call, which is Susan Brown and Judy Mayer. And maybe we'll start with Judy Mayer. Judy, um, welcome on board and thank you for joining us. Would you tell us um, who you are and what you do and what's that Sure. So um, it's nice. Thanks for including me today. Um, I am an elementary school principal of a K-4 elementary school. And I know um, we are really, we're at the elementary level, really working hard to figure out how to navigate this new world of remote learning. Um, and there, we are facing challenges for all students, and in particular, we're facing students who are on IEPs, and how do we meet those accommodations through uh, remote learning? And I think the nice thing about this call, I know, Lottie, you said that you asked that question about how can we help you in terms of thinking about educators, and I think about this as how can we help each other because we're trying to navigate this through that educator lens, and we need feedback from parents and help from parents to know how we can do, you know, really how we can do our best job at meeting the needs of students. 
And so, and then in addition to my role as an educator, I'm a mother of four. So I have two children in high school and two in college. So we're, you know, shifting to remote learning as well. And how that it's a little easier for me because even though I'm working full time remotely from home, my children, because they're older, are a little more independent, but still being able to check in um, on their learning. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you, Judy. Um, Susan, why don't you tell us a little about who you are and how you fit the mold of being on this call? <laughs> sure. I'm Susan Brown. I am the co-founder and vice president of Smile Mass. I am also the mother of four. I have three college students and one um, special needs child who's 21 years old, so she's still able to attend the local high school in the special education program until she turns 22 in February, next February, when she will obviously get kicked out the day she turns 22. They don't get to finish the school year. Um, but she's, she's higher functioning than Lottie's son, Nicholas, um, but she still is having a lot of difficulty with this homeschooling and, or remote learning um, her, because we're just getting, right now we're just getting assignments in the mail and she's supposed to do them with me and that's not the role that she's used to doing with me. I'm usually, you know, only in charge of the fun stuff, <laughs> getting her to her yoga class and getting her to see her friends and all that stuff. So um, that's the, the challenge that I'm coming from. You know, um, I'm working for Smile Mass while this is going on, but Kristen is the only one of my children that I really have to focus my time on because like Judy, my other three are older and, um, you know, they can they can guide themselves through their remote learning through their colleges. Thank you, Susan. So I think um, we want to talk a little bit more in detail. So obviously, um, the three of us come with a wide spread of um, different angles of education and learning and what is important. But I think one of the things for me and one of the things that I hear from many, many parents is the stress level. It is super hard for many families to kind of figure out what's the new normal. And when you are raising kids with severe disabilities, particularly, I think you get to a point where you almost kind of say, all right, I'm just going to pick two things and that's what I'm going to work on. And you kind of just try and do what you can, the best that you can with sort of keeping your child happy and healthy. And in, for my sake, in a little pain as possible, meaning we spend a lot more time stretching him and pulling and talking at him. So his overall body function is at as high a capacity as possible because we can manually do that and we can physically do that. So that becomes, as a parent, um, sort of my top priorities. That means everything else sort of falls behind. And knowing what I know with my mass, um, in Massachusetts, we have about 18.2% of our, our kids in the school district are on an IEP. And about 12.2% of those kids are severely handicapped. And just alone in Massachusetts, that's about 166,000 kids. So I, even with a high estimate, that would be about 150,000 families they are now infected by the fact that the kids are maybe not getting optimal education. And the question is, how do we help them? How do we get them to be part of this? Um, 
I think many students, and I think you guys can, you know, pop in any time, but I think many students, like Nicholas, with sensory issues or whatever, um, oftentimes they're a little bit more introverted. Um, sometimes um, they have sensory issues and what have you. And so although it's remote learning and although we go on the computer and we get Zoom calls and the new normal is kind of checking in with your teacher with different things, um, I think what is not normal is that someone like my son doesn't like to be in front of the computer and especially not if it's my computer because he has so much OCD. So it can't be my computer and he doesn't do it on his computer. So it can't be his. So it becomes super difficult. So what does someone suggest? Do you guys have any ideas or suggestions? Have you heard anything? Um, either Susan or Judy? What What is working for other families and what are they trying to do to accommodate that? I have not heard anything like how to do that. I know that um, Kristen had a call with her friends at one o'clock today. They kind of had a little lunch group together and um, people were saying like they could only had 30 minutes because their kids were using their parents' computers. Um, you know, I think most of our high school kids probably have their own computer, but I don't know, maybe all these um, special education kids don't have their own computer for whatever reason. But, um, you know, all these kids were using their parents' computers, so obviously things like this can only be scheduled when the parents don't need them to work. Um, I know that was one challenge that people were facing because we were also talking about wanting to have some remote learning via Zoom from the teachers, which we have not had yet. And, you know, that was going to be an issue when that came into play, too, is, you know, they want the remote learning, but if their child doesn't have their own device, then it has to be scheduled around their work. So, you know, going back to the stress that you talked about, it's like, yeah, parents are trying to wear like twice as many hats as normal and there's not enough hours in the day. Well, I think, Judy, you... But I don't have an answer. <laughs> well, Judy, I think you ran into some of those problems as well, right? As um, Yeah. On the I other did. side of the table, right? And so, you know, Susan, it's funny that you bring that up because I know that that's in the district where I am, that's been a huge challenge. And we have a range of needs in terms of whether students have access to devices. And so we, as you stated, we have some families that have a device in the home, but there may be, let's say, multiple ch children in the home who need to access the device and a parent may need to use that during the day. Um, so the district is trying to look at, so how can we, um, what can we do about that? How can we support students who may not have access to a device during the day? Um, or other, we have other students who may have not have any device in the home, so their only access may be, let's say, through a phone. Or we have students who don't have access to the internet, and there are local companies that are supporting that, and the, our district is working with those companies to help our students get internet, and we're looking at ways to get to devices to students who have, you know, students who don't have any device in the home. But um, even if we get those devices, it's challenging. For example, as you said, Susan, let's say to have um, either a Google Meet or Zoom at a particular time in the day, because a child, if there's one device, let's say for multiple children, they may not be able to all access that device at that time. Um, so I think it brings up a lot of questions in terms of access and equity for students. And I know we um, are really working hard to ensure equity. And so how can we, you know, really thinking about equity as what do students need 
and how can we support those needs. So it may not be exactly the same for all students, but we really want to make sure that we are able to provide the things that students need. Um, and it's tricky because we made such a quick shift from being in the classroom to this remote learning. And, and I know in addition to issues related to device, devices, I know on my end, um, I have many teachers who are really comfortable with technology and other teachers who are looking and interested to, to learn more, but they're learning as we kind of get up to speed on remote learning. And so that's tricky. And in particular with students on IEPs, because we need to ensure that we can um, make sure that students are able to access their accommodations. And so we have to think about if we're providing, let's say, um, content through a device, how can we modify that content for a student based on their accommodations? And I, you know, I do think, in the long term, that's going to change some of the ways we think about and write IEPs. But right now, our IEPs are not written with remote learning in mind because none of us imagined even two months ago <laughs> that we would be doing this or in this world. So now we're, we're having to rethink how we can support students, all students at home. Well, I think on another subject coming up with all this remote learning, right? Because I think we all have to be patient. And I think parents like me are going, all right, that's great. But what do I do today? And what am I mm -hmm. supposed to do tomorrow? And I think despite, um, you know, we're being patient, we're being realistic. And, you know, there is no doubt that most kids with at least severe disabilities, that 12.2% that I'm talking about, there's mm -hmm. almost no doubt that all those kids won't take a hit in this in this environment right now. And they, on the flip side of that, what are we trying to set up with that? And I think those are the interesting questions to kind of uh, start talking about. And going forward, you know, for many families who are really dealing with kids that are sort of critically um, vulnerable in an environment like this, even if schools did open, could they actually go back to school before we actually have a vaccine that could sort of protect them you know so there's so many variables in in this it's so much bigger than just the education itself but would it you know but i i found what i heard from some teachers was um legally they weren't allowed to just reach out to the kids right away and for many parents you know um the communication with the teacher was often more valuable than maybe talking to a a social worker or somebody else that was the, the go person in the old setting so to speak you know and yeah. those are some of the things I think are challenging for the schools to work on because then it becomes legal when can you call somebody when can't you and what are the new procedures to set up so I think there's just so many variables is that something you do as well Judy? Yeah, we're absolutely facing that. And, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because I've been in communication with a number of the parents from our school, and I think there has been some frustration with um, the learning that's been set up because we've, you know, we've kind of rolled things out slowly to ensure equity for different students, um, and 
we've struggled because I think, you know, the, the concerns I've heard from parents relate to that connection with teachers or connection with their classmates. And that's been the hardest part of this shift to remote learning is that they're not having daily conversations with their students, that they're not having daily conversations with teachers. And I know my own staff, I've had a number of calls from teachers feeling so frustrated because they just want to make sure their students are okay. They want to be able to talk to their students on a regular basis. And we're working to ensure that equity piece because we don't, you know, we're still working on the device part, uh, which limits our communication with some families. Um, and then the other piece of that is physical well-being. We have many students um, who are food vulnerable, so they may not have access to food. And so I know our baseline those first few weeks of the closure was making sure that students would have access to food. You know, so, for example, our um, school kitchen has set up. Um, grab and go breakfast and lunch. And so students can either go to one of the schools in town to pick that up or for students who don't have transportation. Um, there are bus around the school or around the town where families can go and pick up food. So that in addition to the local food pantry and um, some other organizations. So, you know, just trying to make sure that physical needs are met first. So food and that kids are safe and they have shelter um, as families have lost jobs. So kind of starting there and then layering on, starting with some learning, and then we'll continue to build on the learning that's happening. But, you know, the layers of challenges are great right now. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's never ending. And I don't know about you, Susan, but I think it's never ending. And I think every time we shift to one side, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of like we tell, tell the kids, every time you make a choice, there's always a consequence. So make sure you like the consequence, right? Yeah. And, and right <laughs> now we are really in uncharted territory, right? So every time a school decides to take a step, there's always a consequence. And chances are most schools are never going to win everybody. But what can we do? And, and um, you know, and how can we as parents sort of, help our teachers um, or, or schools in general to kind of get across that. I think as a parent, I think my biggest frustration, and perhaps that's a little bit because I'm from Europe, but sometimes I feel like in America, we're more worried about getting sued than doing the right thing. And, and, and maybe that's not exactly totally true, but I feel like there's always all these obstacles and all these things we have to sign and check off before we can even remotely come to the right corner. And that's obviously just because that's just how America is set up. And so even setting all that aside, you know, I know I had a long conversation with my school and I kind of said, I need to speak to my teachers. My teachers need to speak to my son if we're going to get anywhere with all this. Having, you know, emails after emails with notes and things that I can can work on or whatever is just not working. I feel like as educators and whatever, now that we are looking at each person, it's almost like we have a whole school and everybody has an IEP because it's so much individualized from person to person now, more so than it ever was, whether you actually have an IEP or not. So as we are getting close to a quick commercial break, uh, Judy and Susan, I just want you to think about this question and then we'll come back to it. 
if we could change something, what would be one thing that you could change? Because we have a country where every child is sort of left behind right now. What could we change? What could we do? One little thing we could do. That's my one question. So when we come back from break, I would like you guys to try and answer just one thing we could change. We'll be right back. The Smile Mask Show is brought to you in part by Cat Tongue Grips, a non-slip solution for virtually anything on which you want to get a grip. Hi, this is Missy Kelly with Cat Tongue Grips. Enjoy a better grip on anything with Cat Tongue Grips. Cat Tongue Grips provides a layer of non-abrasive, anti-slip, latex-free protection to everything from your smartphone and tablet to tools, water bottles, sports equipment, medical devices, wheelchairs, and more. Our mildly textured, non-abrasive, waterproof material secures items from tipping, spilling, sliding, or dropping. Cat Tongue Grips feels great in the hands and won't pick up hair, lint, or dirt. Cat Tongue Grips is grippy, not sticky. Today, the Cat Tongue Grips product line includes the original Cat Tongue Grips for smartphones, the Fat Cat for tablets and laptops, and the Cat Tongue Grips non-abrasive grip tape, which adheres to virtually anything, anywhere, empowering you to confidently combat any and every slippery situation. Visit cattonguegrips.com to see our full line of products. That's cattonguegrips.com. All right, we're back. And thank you for still listening to smilemass.org and how we can help our students right now and how we essentially see the new world coming. So I gave Susan and Judy a huge question and I'm going to give them the floor. If they have one suggestion, two suggestions, three suggestions, that's great. And it could come from an educator's perspective or it can come as a parent perspective. I think all of them are valid. Um, do you want me to go first, Judy? I have one sure. suggestion from a parent's perspective. Yeah, um, I know absolutely. earlier we talked about, earlier we, I mentioned how, um, you know, it might be an issue that every student didn't have a device to do a Zoom class or a video class on whatever platform. Um, you know, Kristen is really missing her I'm teacher sorry. and her <laughs> friends. And her friends did get together on Zoom. And from what I'm being told from the district that she's in is that video classes are not allowed until they can figure out a way to include everybody. Um, so I get that. But if she could just have contact with her teacher um even if it's through a phone call her teacher was super nice last week and she actually made memory books for all the kids and she personally delivered them and she just knocked on the door and that stood you know six feet back obviously and you know said hello to all the students just one day last week and i'm sure that was super time consuming for her because she does not live in our town so she had to drive here and then she had to drive to every student's house um but even if Kristen could just have a phone call with her and like I think I mentioned earlier Kristen is not used to me being the educator she's I'm the I'm the fun you know the fun one I'm the one that takes her to all her activities after school and we're getting these assignments via email and google docs or whatever and I sit down and I do them with her if she could even just have a 15 or 20 minute call Obviously, every day would be ideal, but even if it's only once or twice a week, so that she understands that she, that her teacher is getting 
her work back. Like I email it back to her, but I don't know that Kristen understands that I can attach this to an email and then her teacher's going to see the work that she did. So if she could at least talk to her teacher once or twice a week so that she understood that her teacher is getting her work back. But Susan, so I just want to challenge you a little bit because I love that idea. And I don't think as a parent, I don't think it's unexpectable to have your teacher connect with her for 15 minutes. Your classroom don't have 28 kids. So my class, Kristen's special ed classroom has 10 kids. And I think four teachers, you know, so so it doesn't have to be the lead teacher. It could be any one of the teachers. So in theory, I don't think that's unacceptable to ask for. And again, I think we're in an uncharted territory. I think, you know, when they called me from the, you know, from the Boston State House and said, what do you think we should change? I said to them, are you sure you want to talk to me? Because <laughs> I would will tell them. <laughs> well, no, but I would ask for the moon, you know, for the, for the moon, right? And then we would land somewhere in the stars because we all know nobody's ever going to be better than mom and dad, right? Nobody can love your kids more than you love your kids. And nobody will ever know your kids better than you know your kids, right? But Absolutely. And every day we're handing them off to educators. And you're talking about typical healthy kids where you all our kids have quirks. My smart little doodle at home who's 17 has quirks. And I know what what sets her off and what motivates her. And if she has a teacher that don't get that, well, then it's just not that great of a year, right? So, mm-hmm. so now you're talking about kids with disabilities, they're nonverbal or whatever. Um, Nicholas signs, but he doesn't do American Sign Language. He signs and it's all very- He does popular. Nicholas Sign Language. <laughs> Nicholas Sign Language. And if you don't know the kid, you have no idea what he's saying. So you really have to apply yourself to even have a short chance to understand what it is he's saying. And then even when you think you have it, you might not really have it because he's always communicating. And I can tell you I'm good, but I'm his mom and I don't always understand what he's saying. So how is a school ever possibly going to do that? So yes, I think Susan asking for 15 minutes a day with the teacher going, all right, today, Kristen, this is what our expectations are. And mom's going to show you how to email it back. It's a great learning opportunity to teach her how to do that. Yeah. Right? But, but you know, and then let the teacher do some of the other things. And I'm not saying hours for hours, but I think, I don't think it's unacceptable to ask for. And is it, is it doable in a typical classroom? Maybe not. With 30 kids, yeah. But no, with but, 10 kids, and like I said, there's even four teachers. It would not have to be the main teacher every but, day. Just a teacher so that she knows that, this work that she has to sit and do with mom that she's not used to doing is getting turned in like the homework that her sisters and her brothers are doing. But even if we looked at the bigger picture here, right, we could potentially have a classroom with 30 kids and the teacher would divide them up in four or five kids in each group. And she could do 15 minutes calls with everybody and say, this is what we're working on. Anybody got questions? And they would obviously be set up differently. I mean, could be, it, it, you know, because typical healthy kids could manage a few people on a call. Right. But I, you know, like I said, what, what, the way I understand why video calls haven't happened yet or um, is because they have to make sure that they can service everybody. So I'm thinking like everybody has a phone, whether it's a cell phone or a landline. And that way, you know, 
that the teacher they might could not, make a call. They might not all have a phone or a landline, you know, like, except a phone, everybody probably has a phone, but not everybody has devices. Judy, what do you think? What do you think? What would you like to see? And you could actually give me one from the education standpoint and one from the parent if you have one for each side. Yep. You know, it's, it's such a huge question. When I go back to that yeah. initial question of what I would change, you know, I think about that. I think about one of the things about this shift to remote learning is that it's re revealing things that we have known about education, but it's really glaring now. And issues related to access and equity are really glaring. Yeah. Because you know, as Susan said, I talked about is that just one thing, meaning access to devices. And so because there isn't, for example, funding equity across districts, there are some districts that either are well-funded and are able to provide devices or other districts where families are able to provide those for most students. And so we have some great inequities in our schools. So, you know, I think about, yes, there's the larger changes I would make in really thinking about how do we, um, how do we equalize some of the funding pieces? So that's kind of the, the bigger, <laughs> the bigger piece in order to level the playing field across different uh, school districts uh, because of the great inequities we have. Cool. But on a smaller basis, really thinking about what Susan said in relation to that, I just want my child to be able to talk to their teacher. Yeah. And why isn't that possible right away? And in some districts, it has happened. I know I can speak to my own district. We, are, we have allowed teachers. So what's happening in our middle and high school is slightly different from what's happening in elementary. So I'll talk a little bit about elementary. Um, we are, we have been able to have teachers reach out to families either through email or phone calls. We haven't used uh, at the elementary level, we haven't used zoom or Google meet in our district. We'll be using Google meet because of the platform that we use. Um, but we haven't been able to do that because of the device issue and the act, not having um, all students have access to devices. Our hope is that within the next week or so, we'll be able to fix that. And then moving forward, we will be able to use Google Meet um, to check in. And, and I know I've already, um, although this technically is our school vacation in Massachusetts, I've already, you know, today was in multiple meetings with um, teachers in my building, really thinking about how is that going to look in an elementary school. So for example, it's difficult in a kindergarten or a first grade, you may be able to present some content, content through Google Meet, like have your morning meeting and all students can see that. But how can you set it up so that there's some interaction between the teacher and the students? So for example, we um, have been looking at some different ways to do some small group work. So a teacher would meet up with a small group of students through Google Meet and either have a book discussion or, um, you know, a lesson related to another content yeah. area. Yeah. And in a smaller group of, let's say, four or five students, um, you may be able to do that in a more effective way than with a larger group. Um, but there are still challenges. I think about some of the accommodations we have for our special education students. So some accommodations, I think we can easily 
meet through remote learning. So for example, if you're doing a writing lesson and there's an accommodation about um, having graphic organizers, you can do that virtually. But for students, for example, who are receiving OT or PT, those kinds of therapies at school, that's really much more difficult because then a parent is put in a place of providing those services. You know, we can't provide those services remotely and those are part of, you know, IEPs and part of their accommodation. So we are struggling, you know, with each, with each new, um, what kind of, with each new type of learning, we have to look at the problem from many different ways. So for example, looking at the problem of, let's say if we did, Um, small group book discussions at an elementary level. We have to think about all the different layers of learning and all the different types of accommodations and our ways that we can modify the work that we're doing in order to meet the needs of the range of students we have in front of us. So with each new thing, there's a new, you know, presents a new kind of set of dilemmas um, to be solved. I hate to use the word dilemmas. I always say, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a new set of, of opportunities, right? Because exactly. that's a great word, opportunity. You know, I think, um, you know, it's a new way of learning. It's just a new way of setting things up. Um, I think I have said for years, I mean, both Susan and I have spent years and years in IEP meetings. And it's one of those when they were young, I used to hate them. I always thought they were dreadful. And I always <laughs> thought I was never part of the team until I kind of asserted myself and said, this is how I want it. This is what I want for my son. And you guys need to learn to meet him where he is. And yep. his job is not to meet you where you are. So I don't want to hear any more talk about us training, us doing this and that. Let's navigate. Let's yep. hit the road and take one step at a time because that's how he's going to, you know, behave. And I have, you know, I have currently a couple of people coming into my house right now helping me with network because, you know, he's both physically and mentally demanding all day long. But with that said, I also have learned from them and, and, you know, they have all of a sudden stepped in from being just kind of caregivers after school where we don't have to do that much and we kind of just hang out with him and talk to him to actually coming in and I'm going, all right, we have to work on some of the PT and some of the OT and some of this stuff and you guys have to be part of the package. So here I have like young adults who who are helping me do some of the teaching because he won't do it with me because I'm not in that place. But what it has given me the opportunity to do is to call his school and talk to educators and talk to our state front and kind of say, we need to do something and we need to do something fast. Because if I'm stressed out, I can only imagine how many, many families feel. Because I don't, I don't usually get thrown off the horse. And I tell you, their horse has run. <laughs> I don't even see the horse in the site. So, so you know, um, I think this is stressful for many families. So there's absolutely, it's absolutely stressful. And we're, you know, we're talking in some ways about like best case scenarios, families yeah. who are able to navigate all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And for, mm-hmm. you know, for some families, they're navigating initially just basic needs Exactly. They, just, they just need to breathe every day. They might just worry about getting food on the table and 
when is mom and dad going back to work and can we even pay rent next week? Exactly, exactly. So I think the whole component becomes really big, but I do think as a parent, I wish that it wasn't all that we again didn't run into all legal you know you know a teacher can't talk to a student or whatever i wish there was a way that we could literally sign off and you know i think if i could wish one thing and that's across the board for all our students both old and young that any zoom calls or anything would be taped so that way if there was any ill, Ill being or anything that wasn't right or what have you um, it could be traced because I'm sure that's some of the issues, right? Why they don't want these Zoom calls and why they don't want them on one-on-one. But if everything was, was you know, um, taped and whatever, I wish there was a way to kind of make it a little bit more secure. It's unfortunately that we live in a world where when everybody's trying to do the right thing, there's always one bad egg. There's just not doing the right thing, which ruins it for many, right? And that's what makes it really tough. But I think if I could choose something, I wish that my 60 page IP was broken down by my teachers and they said, all right, let's pick top five things we wanna work on. And this is how we're gonna do them. And we're gonna check in with you. I would like every day for 15 minutes like Susan, but even three times a week, 15 minutes with Nicholas and a schedule time where he's checking in and there was expectations and maybe a couple of phone calls with me at nighttime saying, this is how we're gonna get to the next step. So we all understand um, how they usually do things in school versus how I do them at home. And how do we really co-teach at this point? Because this is a long time problem for many parents that are saying, I'm gonna be part of the team. And the teachers are saying, you are part of the team, but the teachers are not really communicating what they're working on. And now that has come crashing and burning down, right? Because, yeah. and that's the biggest issue. So if we can just get over ourselves and say, hey, I might love you or hate you, whatever, but you're my kid's teacher. Let's just put all that aside. How do we get from A to B? You know, um, and, because, and I also, you know, I think, Lottie, you mentioned earlier about a parent knows their child. And yeah. I think that's really key. And I think that in terms of building those trusting relationships between educators and families is always keeping that, keeping the student at the heart of all the work that's happening. So the decision-making, all of that work, and always for educators, I think it's a good reminder for educators. And I, you know, I said this to my teachers many times when they're struggling with connecting, for example, with a parent or a family and just reminding them that parents know their child better than anybody. They've been there since the beginning. Um, and so to really always keep that in the back of your mind in terms of working with families and connecting and trying to figure this out. Because I know even in like thinking as a mom, not, you know, like yeah. not that I can separate my educator part, but thinking as a mom and my own kids needs, I think the times when I've been most frustrated and, you know, my children, you know, two of them have been on IEPs for different reasons and really thinking about the t- my frustration has always come when I feel like a teacher's not taking the time to get to know my child and yeah. they're making some assumptions about them. And so 
really making sure that teachers and parents are building relationships, working together through this, because it's difficult on both sides. I know, you know, it's difficult for many of my teachers who are trying to connect with students and make phone calls to students, and they have their own little ones at home. And so they're trying to navigate, just like a lot of you are navigating your work and um, having kids. My teachers are doing that as well and trying to figure that out and, and, kind of building that relationship of trust so that we're all in this together and we're all going to keep what's best for kids. And I think that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about like the new tomorrow, right? The new normal. Um, yeah. you know, I had some teachers tell me, I would love to call you at this time, but I can't, I have my little one at home. So you have to work with me between eight and 10 in the morning or two and four in the afternoon. And I go, all right, but that's off the table because I yeah. am not pulling my kid out of bed because you have a little one at home. Like, so, you know, like, it's a happy medium. So I just love everybody a lot, but this is my schedule. And I understand that you have a little one at home, but you also get paid. And now I'm your teacher. So you need to work on my terms a little bit. So, you you know, and that's why I'm saying it's a trust issue where maybe you could say, all right, you know what? I'm going to free up time from 11 to 11.15, you and me. And then we'll talk tonight when everybody goes to bed and we'll talk for 20 minutes and we'll hash out what works and what doesn't work. That becomes the new normal now. So it's not set up schedule. It's not the dream job of being a teacher that you're working from seven to four or five or whatever you're doing. You know, the new normal might be that there's a couple of nights a week where you're on the phone with parents until this gets on on the wrap, so to speak, um, you know, and it's not for every child that this is necessary. But I do think if our, if our children at home are struggling with their homework, as a parent, we might not even really know what they're working on, even if it's fourth or fifth grade and it's a typical kid. But having a conversation with the teacher going, this is what he's struggling on. How do I get from A to B? It might be enough to get them to the next level. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that trust piece is just so important because we need to, we need to work through this. We're both navigating both, you know, parents and educators are navigating this and we have to build that trust so we can work together. And really I mean, I think this is hard for everyone. I, I must, and I know Susan and I talk about this a lot because obviously Susan and I talk a lot every day because we work together and we run Smile Mask, but I, I, I must admit, I am glad I'm not a politician because you're never going to please everybody. So I think this whole subject <laughs> is huge, right? Yeah. I, I must admit, I'm glad I'm sort of not a teacher because, you know, they don't get enough credit for what they do. And there's an incredible amount of great teachers out there that are doing the amazing stuff. And unfortunately, it's not the ones we always hear about. We always hear about the one that didn't do enough, right? Because nobody wants to hear the good story. So I think today what I really want to take away from this and what I want to hear, have the listeners do, um, you, you should know one thing. Um, Susan and I at Smile Mass, we listen. And we have a great following. And we want to know what your thoughts are. So if you have thoughts about the education, if you are frustrated, if you are mad, it's okay. We want to hear from you. If you have good ideas or thoughts or anything you want to add, we want to know. And you can contact us at info at smilemass.org. And it's smile, S-M-I-L-E, and it's mass, M-A-S-S, dot org. And you can let us know what you would like to see change. And just bear in mind, it's different everywhere, but we all have a voice. 
and we're all incredibly good at what we do. And if we can keep that in mind, I am sure, like, I, I know for sure that out of all this craziness and out of all of us been home, yes, maybe our walls are a little bit too small. Maybe we love our family a lot, but we just need a little bit of a break. But something good has to come out of all of this. And we now all have a voice and we actually have a chance to speak up and try and make some of those healthy changes happen. So I think for me, it would be a lot more individualized across the board and especially for kids with disabilities, but across the board, much more individualized. And I even said to the state, I think the new normal of education will end up looking a lot more like early intervention where for kids with special needs or anything else would actually end up coming into your house and help you with some of the education until schools are back up running. That would be my dream come true because now you can really have some focused time and everybody's focused on the same thing. And that means for many teachers, the workload, like the work of clients would be less, but the workload would probably become more because they have to cover more academic stuff. But I don't know if that would work in the higher classes. But that's kind of my takeaway from this. I don't know if anybody has any other takeaway from this. So why we um, go for another commercial break and then we come back, we will finish up with kind of a couple of other thoughts from everybody and what we can do right now and what we could potentially do going forward. We'll be right back. The Smile Math Show is brought to you in part by Audible. With over 180,000 audiobook titles from new releases to bestsellers, you can listen to Audible on your computer, iPhone, Android, or Kindle whenever and wherever you want. Plus, our friends at Audible are giving you a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial of their service. To get your free audiobook, just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash abilities radio. That's audibletrial.com forward slash abilities radio. All right, folks, so we're almost coming to the end. So before we come to the end, I kind of asked both Judith and Susan if they would add in one thing that they have changed to being confined to the house or one thing they've changed on the IP or what have you. And um, I will go to Susan first and let her share, and then I'll share my last bit, and then we'll wrap it up and see you guys next time. But Susan, go ahead. One thing you want to add to these guys? Um. I don't know. One thing that Kristen and I have done since this whole thing started was, you know, we've kind of, we've been forced to slow down and like, we, we make sure we go for at least a mile walk every day. Um, I think it's important to get out of the house and to get into the fresh air and to get the exercise because, you know, before this all happened, she had lots of activities to get the exercise, but it was always indoors and I'm not really an outdoorsy person I'm not really we're not really an outdoorsy family but um you know it's just being in these conditions and you know being stressed and all this can can kind of be a little bit depressing but if you go outside and you move and you get into the sunshine it really makes a huge difference even if it's only for 15 or 20 minutes a day thanks Susan Judy, what do you got? Did you guys change anything? Um, so two, I'll say one thing as an educator and one thing as a mom. So yeah. the educator in me is, I just hope in 
not only my work, but the work of all educators, that we always keep kids at the heart of our decision making and that we always think about what kids need and think about how can we best meet those needs um, and really make sure that, yes, there are all these other pieces that we're working on, but that really is the heart of our work and doing what's best for kids. So that the educator in me, just always keeping that at the center of my thinking and work. Um, the mom in me, one of the things that we started doing is we started rotating um, everybody in, their, in the family making dinner, which oh, I love that. <laughs> has been fun. And, you know, family dinners are now that my college kids are home, it's nice. The one advantage is like having everybody back home. I love that. I don't know if they're thrilled, but I am. Um, yeah, so we, I am too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been rotating, having everybody make dinner a different night of the week. And that's been kind of fun. And sometimes it's really simple, just pasta and some sauce. And sometimes it's a little fancier, um, but it's just fun. And then it's our kind of just time as a family to regroup, to shut down devices um, and to like give ourselves permission. I know as a parent, I've had to give myself like kind of give myself permission that it's going to be a little different now. My kids might be on screens a little more. They might be using their devices more and it's okay right now. Cause we're kind of work through this new normal. So. I think that's great. Um, I think in my household, um, one of the things that we've changed, um, that I actually got to keep it on, um, on a call that I did with a bunch of moms that, just needed to breathe and just know that they weren't the only ones ready to rip their heads out. And one of the moms kind of said to me, she goes, I don't know about you guys, but my IP is 60 pages long. And I was only sitting there nodding my head. And she goes, I literally just threw it out. I couldn't even, I didn't even know where to begin. And she goes, so I allowed myself to choose every single day. We're just going to be happy. We're going to work and we're going to work on all the little things. She goes, but one thing I've enforced is, that we're all gonna start wearing masks because if this becomes the new normal, this could take me up to six months to teach my daughter how to do. And I just love that idea. So I actually totally stole that from her. So we every day work on the same principle for my son because he's sensory prone and he doesn't like anything new. So we call it kind of monkey see, monkey do. And we all put masks on for 15 minutes. We take them off and we put them on. So if we are in the new normal where we have to use them, that is something we do. And then secretly from my mom's perspective, not having 20 different kind of sports and people coming in and out and nobody's ever home for dinner. We're actually all home for dinner. And now every Friday night we do a game, board game. So I, I've allowed ourselves to just kind of breathe and and know that if we all do the best that we can, it's going to be okay tomorrow. The sun will shine. So with that, I want to leave you guys. I want to say thank you for listening. And we are looking forward to seeing you guys next time. And please reach out or let us know what you think. And you can find us at smilemask.org or you can send us information at info at smilemask.org. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon next time. This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine.